So thank you for being flexible. Um, I gotta find my footholds here. There we go. Thank you for being flexible. Um, it, it has been today for physics. We actually wrote instructions on how to make peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Trust me, it went with the lesson, but um, it was, it, it's been fun to do some different things with these students. Um, although I didn't use peanut butter, I used something called wow butter that's supposed to be nut free. I don't know, it meant that I didn't have to like spray down the whole classroom and could get here on time. So I was good with that. Um, this week, we finally get to dive into Esther. Uh, finally, it's only the second week. It's not like it's been forever, but... Um, so last week I mentioned a few things just to prepare you for, your, for our lessons. Uh, to, and I wanna remind us of these just to make sure we're all getting started on the same page with that same mindset as we begin. Um, so as someone reads the passage, if they are not reading from the ESV, which is what's printed in your thing, it may not be the name Ahasuerus, right? It may be the name Xerxes, same king, just Xerxes is his Greek name and Ahasuerus is his Hebrew name. So different translations of the Bible use different names based on their translation process, their, their methodology for the translation. Um, because what we printed was the ESV, I will use Ahasuerus when I am speaking. Um, but if you read and you would rather say Xerxes, by all means, go right ahead, same man. Um, there are a lot of things in Esther, just as a reminder that we aren't gonna know exactly. We're only being told what the author wants us to know for the purpose of the story. We have to be okay with the not knowing. Now some things we can find from other historical writings and that's very good and very important thing to, to think about too. But the key is we have all the information that we want in the book of Esther, or all the information that we need, sorry, in the book of Esther, even if it isn't everything that we may want. Um, then if you, uh, if you looked at your handouts that we gave out last week, you saw we did things just a little differently and we actually wrote out some specific observation questions for you. Um, and if you kind of looked through those, there were several that I would put who was the eunuch that did this? Because I want you to think about those names, right? Why does it matter who the eunuch was that was responsible for bringing Haman into the king's chamber? Because his name was written and preserved in the Bible. That's the key, and that's why, whether we know exactly why or not, we just have to know it was important enough to be included. Um, and then there's something else that's just interesting about this book, because throughout the Bible, we see God work in mighty ways. And two years ago from the book of Daniel, if you recall when we studied that one, if you were with us, 
God saved Daniel's friends from the fiery furnace in a mighty and miraculous way. And so what were some of the things that God showed, some of the ways that God showed his power in that, in that story? They weren't burned up. What else? They didn't even smell of smoke, yeah. right? There was, there was somebody else in there. The fourth person was somebody else saying something. Yeah, not even a hair was singed. And they, um, but the, the furnace was hot enough to kill the guards that were putting the men in. There was no doubt that those men should have died, right? But that is not the God, it, it is the same God, but that's not the way that God works in the book of Esther. It's not how we see him move. God still delivers the Jewish people, basically the entire Jewish population, through completely ordinary means through ordinary decisions and actions. And this is possibly one of the reasons that it resonates, that this story resonates so deeply with people. It isn't, and, and, but what makes this unique isn't just this lack of might and power. God's name is nowhere. It's not referenced anywhere in this book. There's no, rec- there's, there's no reference to the synagogue, no reference to priests, no reference to religious items of any sort. But the absence of the name of God does not equal the absence of God. God is watching and working for our good even when our circumstances don't, don't appear that way. Uh, and Landon Dowden, he wrote the Christ-centered exposition commentary that I, is one of the ones that I use in my study. Um, he says, there are things in all of our lives that we attribute to God without his directly saying, you know, I'm doing this, right? You know, this is my work, right? This is the truth present in the book of Esther. We don't directly see God, but we see his work in every single chapter. It's the same is true in our own lives. But the events in Esther are not determined by chance. There is no chance in this book at all. It is all determined by the control of God. It is not luck, but the Lord. And so, as you all know, I am teaching a couple of sections of physics at the school this year. Uh, That's why we had to sort of change things up a little bit with with Bible study, so thank you for your flexibility on that. Um, But as part of preparation for getting ourselves ready for the way God worked through the book of Esther, I want to tell you the way that God worked to put me in a position to teach physics. Um, and, And just the way that God used all sorts of small things to not just put me there initially, but to continue to assure me and remind me that this is where he wants me for this time. So I think it was back in April. Um, I was 
doing some church stuff, but was over at, at that building instead of here. And he was Mr. Greist at the time because he was with some students. And he, he, but he's the superintendent at Mount Calvary. And he was like, Mrs. Stewart, can you come by my office sometime? And I was like, okay thinking, what in the world, is, you know, am I, should I not be on campus during school? This has never been a problem before. Like, what is going on? Then I, then I sort of stopped and thought about it and was like, he's going to ask me to teach this year. He needs a middle school science teacher, and he wants me to teach middle school science. And I was ready 100% to say, absolutely not. I mean, number one, middle school teachers are saints, let me just say, like, but, <laughs> um, but I went in, I was going to give him a chance, and, and um, I mean, he, I, I have told you before, he was the first person that I, we met when we first, the first day we came to Mount Calvary Church, he was the first person that we met, so I felt like I owed it to him. Um, and so he started talking, and he asked me about teaching physics, and only physics. Not sixth graders, not seventh graders, not eighth graders, two sections of the same class that was physics. We both walked away, and I was intrigued, but I kept seeing roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. I have jokingly referred to this list of roadblocks as my list of demands. Um, some were things that Jared would have to accommodate, and others had to be worked out in other ways. Uh, the biggest one was this. I knew that we were doing Esther. I was so excited about teaching Esther, but I knew that this is where God wanted me to serve the women at Mount Calvary Church. I knew that God wanted me to be sitting right here in this seat every Tuesday morning, most Tuesday mornings, teaching about how he worked through the book of Esther. So I came in, and I think it was Ray and I both came in to Elizabeth, because he and I had been talking about it and praying about it, and Elizabeth was like, yeah, we can make changes. If that's where you think God wants you, then we'll fix it. We'll make it work. So my first demand for Jared was that I could only teach if it was first and second period of the day. I couldn't, I, I didn't want to break between classes that would go, you know, first period and then come back seventh period. I, leave, I live 15 minutes away. I, that was not going to be worth it to me. Um, I could only, and I should say, when we first met, he said, I don't want this to take away from you working for the church. So we knew that that was not, that, that they were going to work with me on that part. Um, we took the time because I knew that I would be teaching some of my children's friends. I was a teacher's kid. I know that can be awkward. Um, so we talked to the kids, said, I'm, I, I've been asked about this. 
and it'll be some of your friends. And they were like, well, it's nobody in my, my grade, so go for it. Like, well, we'll see if I do this again next year, they'll be in your grade, but. Um, and then we talked about how that would mean that if they forgot something at home, I'd be gone at eight in the morning. Well, I leave before eight in the morning. I would be teaching at eight o'clock in the morning. I couldn't just leave and go bring a computer or bring hearing aids or bring whatever. They had to be much more responsible. It didn't happen very often that I had to bring something in. Let me just clarify. Um, and, and that also meant that if there was something that Ray would have to pick up that slack. Um, and he was, he was more than willing. Another item uh, was that I had already agreed to, and this was back in April, right? I had already agreed to, paid for all that great stuff for this conference that I was gonna go to on September 30th with Elizabeth for the church. Told Jared, again, my list of demands, right? Told him I would need a sub that day to go to this conference. He said, no problem. By the time it got to the point where they had a sub list and could get a sub lined up, like they had already started, I mean, had it on the calendar ready to go. And then they realized school was closed that day. I don't even need a sub because God was like, oh, I'm not going to have you write sub plans for that day. Here, go to the conference. So God took care of that little detail when it could have just been, yeah, we'll just get a sub, no big deal. But he took care of that little detail. He smiled down on me and he gave me a day that I knew I had to be off from school, but I didn't have to write sub plans. I didn't have to worry about what my kids were gonna be doing to my sub, they're good kids, I promise, but they push back sometimes. That's what kids do, right? It was completely unnecessary, but just such a blessing, and it's what I call a God smile, right? But just like those 30 minute long infomercials on TV, but wait, there's more. Back in January, so again, before April, I had volunteered to be on the board for, our, for, for the marching band boosters for Mannheim Central, where Andrew and Catherine are in the marching band. In March, so January I agreed, and then March they sort of changed things on me, and we learned that it was a trip year. And the board has to go as chaperones on this trip. And they were doing, this wasn't supposed to be a trip year, but because of COVID, things got shifted. And so, um, so Universal Studios was chosen. It was going to be a longer trip, but we didn't have dates and we wouldn't have dates for a while. And so I went into Jared and I said, so here's the next list thing from my list of demands. I need to be able to chaperone this trip. And Jared, just nothing. He was just like, sure, no problem. He, now he did say, depending on how long it is, you might have to take time off without pay, to which I was like, that's no problem. You don't teach for the pay. 
just to let you know. Um, so then in August, we found out the tentative dates in February, and I sent the dates to, to Jared and to Chris Editor, Chris Edder, who is the high school, uh, middle school high school principal, and they went ahead and found a sub for me. Then we're sitting in in-service, like a, a week or two later, and they start going over the calendar for the year. And I look at the calendar for those dates. ACSI accreditation visit, mandatory attendance. Oh, no. I was like, but Jared gave me approval, and Chris gave me approval, and they already had a sub lined up, so maybe this will be okay, right? So I was just gonna trust, because we still had until February, we could figure something out, right? So the week before, the school had gotten a call from ACSI. So they had already published the calendar, then they get the phone call, and it says, we can't do the accreditation visit in February. We need to move it to April, I think it was April that they said. It needs to be moved to later in the spring. Just pause for a second here, right? God cared enough about me that he made it, that it wasn't just that Jared and Chris were going to make it work for me to go, right? He made it so that the whole visit had to be changed, that somebody on the team couldn't make it that week so that I could go and not just go, but I could go and not worry about not being here for that visit. Jared was going to be true to his word to me. But God knew that I would push back on the band trip if I was supposed to be at school. But God made the event that had been planned and finalized so it was published in the calendar get moved. Now, I know it wasn't only for me. Don't get me wrong. I'm not that self-centered. But by golly, it felt good, right? God still smiled down on me in that moment. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt because of the way that he worked out all those roadblocks that I set up in front of him, that that's where he wants me to be this year. He took every single stumbling block that I put in the way and he transformed it into a building block for an amazing story. These things didn't just happen. There's no way that I could have made them work out this way. And I couldn't have dreamed of them all working out so perfectly. There is no doubt in my mind that God was in it, even though he didn't show up with this great, amazing, powerful strength, even though he didn't make this big, obvious, flashing neon sign that said, yes, you are supposed to teach physics, it was all those little circumstances that all worked together in perfect harmony. And that's what we're gonna see as we study the book of Esther. 
that's one of the things that makes the book of Esther so relatable, is this idea of God's providence being, being worked out in the details, and in particular, within a pagan government. You know, Esther and Mordecai lived in a world that was led by a pagan ruler. And yet we see that no pagan leader can thwart God's providence. God used King Ahasuerus just the way he was to make his plan happen. Now, no mention of God in the book is one of the reasons that people debate the scriptural authority of the book. Before we get going, just to reassure everyone, Esther was recognized as scripture by the Jewish people long before the birth of Christ. Uh, Josephus was a Jewish historian. We've talked about him before. He counts Esther as the last book written in the Jewish canon. Um, and even though some of the details of this story seem improbable, we trust the Council of Carthage that made it canon, made the book of Esther canon, or part of the Bible, in 397 AD. So there's no doubt that God is at work and that God's hand is in the book of Esther and that Esther is supposed to be scripture. Now, from the time Elizabeth told me what she was thinking for our theme for the year, I was excited. I love this concept of but God. Started thinking about Esther. I started thinking about spending an entire Bible study year on the book of Esther, a book that has no mention of God, no prophets, no mention of the Torah or the temple, not even a single prayer. An in-depth verse-by-verse study of Esther is not commonly done. You don't find extended sermon series on it very often. You'll hear a, a, maybe two maybe three if you're lucky, if you're doing a study on the book of Esther from the pulpit. An in-depth, verse-by-verse study, that's what we're going to do. So I started praying. I started reading Esther. I started breaking it down into bite-sized chunks um, and was pleasantly surprised at how it all went together not just with how easily I could separate it, but also with the variety of topics that we're going to get to cover. God may not be mentioned, but he still has some amazing things for us to learn. And so as we get started, I think I start every single one of our studies with this same verse, or same couple of verses, but we're going to do it anyway, because that's tradition, so we might as well, but it's also truth. And so, um, Sandy, I gave you 1 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Oh, did I get the wrong one? manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels. I gave you the wrong one. I'm sorry. It's 2 Timothy. My bad. 
316 through 17, yep. Okay. Sorry about that. All scripture is breathed out, of, out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Thank you, Sandy. So all scripture is what? God breathed. God breathed means it comes from God. And it is useful for what? Correction. Correction. Teaching. Teaching. I heard some others. Reproof or rebuking. Training in righteousness. And what's the purpose? The overall purpose. That last line. that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So the book of Esther is God-breathed. And despite us spending the next eight months in a book that does not mention the name of God or any reference to any aspect of him, we are going to see the way that the book of Esther truly shows us all about him about what we can do in our lives, what he wants us to learn, and about what we should be doing and equipping us for good works. We know God inspired the writing of the book of Esther. We don't know the human author. Um, Some say Mordecai wrote it down. Some say Ezra. Nobody knows for sure. Um, The key is just because we don't know the human author does not mean that 2 Timothy 3.16 I got it right on that part, that 2 Timothy 3.16 does not apply to Esther. All we know is it was likely written by a Jew. That's the extent of what we do know. Um, Because we don't know the human author, oh, and this, if you want to, your at-a-glance chart should be right there at the beginning, like it says page three on mine. This is where you can write your author and your date stuff. Um, We don't know the human author. It's difficult to put a date as to when the book was written. Probably written shortly after the reign of King Ahasuerus, so likely, or what's sort of the accepted answer to the date would be about 465 BC, sometime around then. And in reality, the purpose of this book, while we're going to see all sorts of of different aspects of God at at work and God's providence, and and we're going to talk about fasting and being a woman of God in a world that, yeah, where womanhood is not, um, the, the purpose for Jewish culture The whole reason that the Jews would say this was part of scripture was to explain the origin of the Feast of Purim. But just to let you know, we're not going to get to Purim until like the next to last lesson. So we've got a while to get there. Um, But now that we have kind of the background, we're going to dig into the book. Um, 
verses 1 through 3. In those days, when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The, the army of Persia and Media and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him. So just like we have the last couple of years, we're going to take... Um, Take the moment and, and we're going to observe our passage. We're going to look at those five W's and an H, or at least the ones we can answer, for these verses. So who is this passage about? Ahasuerus. King Ahasuerus, the Persian king. Ahasuerus, Xerxes, was the son of Darius I, the grandson of Cyrus the Great, if you want to take a quick peek at your timeline, page 45 has your timeline. Um, you'll see along, the, along one line there is the, um, the kings, and then there's the books, and then, um, yeah. Um, prophets, that's the other one. And you can kind of line things up, um, but you'll, you'll, I just said he's the grandson of Cyrus the Great. We've talked about Cyrus the Great before, right? We see those Babylonian kings, King Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, conquered Israel, took the Jews into captivity, into captivity and he was the one that that the bulk of the book of Daniel dealt with. Uh, we see that Babylon fell in 539 BC when Belshazzar was king. Again, we talked about this in Daniel. Uh, we talked about Daniel, we talked in Daniel also about Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian king. So Darius was the son of Cyrus and the father of King Ahasuerus. Darius was a good king. Uh, he was not the oldest son of, um, no, Ahasuerus, sorry, was not the oldest son of Darius. His mother was Atossa. We know that from other historical writings. Um, he did have some strong military victories early in his reign, but he spent a lot of his time and energy finishing the palace and other elaborate building projects. But he did not measure up to his father Darius, either morally or militarily. So in 470 BC, he, he really lost influence over the Greeks. And then he was killed in a conspiracy in 465. And so that's our who. That's more information than you probably ever wanted to know, but now you have about King Ahasuerus. And then we want to think about when. When did this passage take place? Verse 3 tells us it was the, the what, what does, 
verse 3 tell us about the wind? The third year of the reign of Ahasuerus. So flip back to your timeline on page 45. When did his reign begin? 486. So the third year of his reign would be 483 BC. Um, we also see this marked on our timeline as the Feast of Xerxes, right? So historically here, if we're looking at our timeline, um, and Herodotus, we've talked about him before, but he's a Greek historian. He recorded the history of not just the Greeks, but of other nations at the time. Um, and, and much of what we know historically comes from him. And so long before Esther's time, the people of Israel and Judah had been dispersed throughout the Near East by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Eventually, the Persians absorbed nearly all of these lands into their empire, which reached its greatest extent during the time of Esther. So virtually the entire Jewish population was under the control of Ahasuerus. So even though some have returned to Jerusalem and the temple has been rebuilt, that's the times of Ezra and Nehemiah, um, they, they are still, Jerusalem is still under, the, under Persian control. Uh, if you're interested in what's happening to the Jews, this happens shortly after chapters 1 through 6 of Ezra. So there is a rebuilt temple but it is before the book of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is the one that helped rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. So we have a temple, but no walls, so there's only some people that are back in, um, in Jerusalem. So that's, that's where the Jews are historically. Um, but then, we go back to our observations, and our next W would be the where. So where is the area that makes up the Persian Empire at the time? India to Ethiopia. Um, present day, that's Pakistan to northern Sudan, kind of. You've got a map, pages, I wrote down 49 and 50, but on here I have 51, so who knows? Somewhere in there is your map. Uh, there should be two maps that kind of show you the area of the world and just the vastness of, of that area. It's 127 provinces is what, the, is what verse 1 tells us. Uh, the Persian Empire was made up of 20 satrapies that were divided into these smaller provinces, so kind of like 20 states that had 127 total counties sort of the way that that would, that would go. Um, why do you think the author said 127 provinces instead of 20 satrapies? It sounds more impressive. Just like in advertising, right? Or even in, in sales, you think about, oh, $79.99, that's much cheaper than $80, right? 
this was all about, and as we're going to continue to see, particularly next week, this is all about making the king almost larger than life. But I want us to keep that in mind just from this. Even the author is pointing out what it is that he is, um, the, the king has as we're, as we're going. So we know where the empire was. Where was the king? In Susa. He was sitting on his throne in Susa. Now, Susa was not Ahasuerus' main residence, um, yet it's still considered the capital of the empire. He would have returned to Susa in early spring to enjoy the, the season. Um, but the palace at Susa was able to accommodate many hundreds, if not thousands, of people. So it would have been a massive structure. And what is the king doing in verse 3? Giving a feast. Hosting a feast. Now we're going to talk more about the feast next week, so we'll go into much more depth next week with it. Um, but just let's prepare you and go ahead and practice. You can write it on your page 48 with your list of feasts if you want to start that now. Um, who was invited to this feast? His officials and servants. More, that's more an acknowledgement of the size of the group. Um, but then it goes on and says, the army of Persia and Media. And uh, so that's about his military strength, his might. And then the last one is the, the no nobles and the governors. Literally, it's the first men or the head person. So this is the political leaders. So he's got a huge crowd of his military strength and his political strength. So we're going to dig deeper into this feast next week. But as you're re reading for next week, just remember how big this feast was. Possibly thousands of people. And as we're going to see in next week's passage, for a six-month-long party. But this week, I want us to just be thinking about setting the stage for the book of Esther as a whole. We know that this book is about the salvation of the Jewish people, and we know that this book is about the sovereignty of God. This week, I want you to think about those ways that God has worked in your life in both the mighty ways, but also the small ones. And as we pray this week, because we know God is working, as you pray this week, ask God to open your eyes to the way he is working in your life. And I can't wait to hear some of the ways that you have seen, because if you ask God to open your eyes, he's going to open your eyes. So we are going to go break up into our small group time and have our discussion